I want to talk about preaching to our hearts and what to do when our heart does not quite grab on to the facts that it needs to grab on to. And where this all began was I was wrestling with God for something in prayer and it just didn't seem to be coming. And I think I was looking for an answer that wasn't going to come in the way I was looking for it. I was looking for God to transform my heart. And, and I think when I, when I talk about my heart, I think I can explain it like this. If, if in my mind I think something and my heart does not resonate with that thought as true. So I can say that, for instance, something I was wrestling with, I can say that Jesus loves me. But maybe my heart is wrestling with some sort of failure recently, whether it be professional or moral or whatever. And so my mind says, Jesus loves you with the intensity that the Father loves the Son. And then my heart says, yeah, but I did this and he's not happy with me. So our heart can kind of argue against us. In other scenarios, where our mind and our hearts match up, that's, I think, when we feel a certain amount of peace. But at times when our mind is convinced by our hearts to do the wrong, go the wrong direction, that can actually work against us as well. So let me kind of share with you where all this came about. Like I said, I was wrestling with something in my heart and it had to do with my identity and uh, my identity being rooted in success. And if I'm succeeding in what I'm pursuing, then I feel valuable. If I'm failing at what I'm pursuing, then I feel like I'm a failure. I feel like my identity has been, my identity is not in a good place. And so I was, as I was wrestling through my heart's desire to be successful, and my heart wasn't at rest, I, I realized that what I was looking for is for my mind and my heart to be in unison. I didn't want any suffering in my heart. I didn't want any doubt in my heart. And I wanted it to match up with the facts in my mind. And so there was a verse that came to mind in, in Hebrews 12, I believe it is, where it talks about Jesus and it said, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And the epiphany that came out of that was the idea that we can have suffering and simultaneously have joy. So it's not like once suffering is shut off, now we can have joy, or if there is suffering present, we can have no joy. So this opened up to me the idea that somehow, as my heart is wrestling with some sort of suffering, whether that be disappointment, whether that be bodily pain, whether that be uh, fear, anxiety, whatever, our hearts can be stuck continuously thinking about the bad place it's in. So as I was pursuing this more and more, another passage came to mind where Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 is wrestling with 
this messenger of Satan, this thorn in his flesh. And he prayed and fasted three times that it would be removed. And God did not answer his prayer until the third time. But God didn't answer it in the way that he was looking for. He actually answered it in a way that was more beneficial to Paul and more freeing in the long run. So here, here's the way I'm thinking Paul's mindset was when he was praying and fasting those three times is he is experiencing bodily pain. That bodily pain almost steals the attention of his mind in such a way where he can't focus on ministry, he can't focus on relationships. It's, it's really kind of stealing all of his attention. And he's thinking, I got to get rid of this so I can get back to real ministry, so I can get back to unhindered pursuit of others for the kingdom. So he prays and fasts three times. And God's answer to him was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And so in a sense, he was saying that Paul, that suffering, that pain needs to continue so that you can see my power, so that you can experience my power. So here I think we have to step into Romans chapter 7, where Paul is wrestling with this idea that no matter what he seems to try or how hard he seems to try, he always keeps falling into sin. And he says words like, the things I want to do, I can't seem to be able to do. And the things that I don't want to do, I see, seem to keep doing all the time. In other words, he, he wants to stay away from sin. He wants to be obedient to the Lord. But it seems like no matter how hard he tries or what he tries, he always seems to fall prey to the temptations. And then he says, he's starting to separate the this whole idea of the body of sin, body of death, and his mind. So he says, so I agree with the law of God that it is good. And even though his mind is agreeing with what the law is saying, his body seems to be doing something different. His heart seems to be doing something different. It seems to be serving not God, but sin. So sin that is present in him is kind of making a slave of his body. And he develops this thought to the point where he finally says, wretched man that I am, who shall separate me from this body of death? In Romans chapter 6, it's also called the body of sin. And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. So all of a sudden there's a truth that he understands that he realizes Christ has actually set him free from that body of death, from that body of sin. And something clicked for me a few weeks ago that helped me to understand this passage. And, and I think it's a recognition that our emotions, let me say it like this, our bodies respond to our emotions. So if you notice when you're, when you're frustrated, your body seems to have, you seem to almost kind of start sweating, or if you're anxious, there's kind of this pressure in your heart or your chest. As I've ob observed, 
the body's response to my emotional states. It really seems like the body is is working against us. It really seems like as our body matches our negative emotions, it almost keeps us trapped into focusing on the negative emotions. Uh, one simple task is I, I can't stand doing dishes. And when I'm getting better at this, but when I'm doing dishes, sometimes I get into this thought pattern with, I really don't want to keep doing these dishes. And then I start sweating. And then I start kind of getting this, this feeling in my gut. And then that keeps me thinking about why am I feeling this? Well, I'm feeling like this because I don't want to do dishes. And it just kind of keeps cycling through. And so I, I think this is kind of what Paul's talking about in Romans 7, where there is this body of sin or sin is somehow master over our body. And what Paul says after he realizes that Christ has set him free, he says, oh, wretched man, who shall separate me from this body of death? He recognizes that, man, his body just keeps him going the wrong direction. His body keeps him kind of enslaved. And if you think about it, the demands of our body are, are persistent, whether it's sleep or food or sex or, or whatever, uh, seeking comfort. Our body is quite demanding. And I'm not saying the body is all bad, but sin has taken advantage of the needs of the body and, and really kind of overexpressed them to the point it, it keeps us enslaved if we don't realize what's going on. And so Paul's pointing out in, in the next verse, Paul says, so then, so with the truth that Christ has set him free, Christ shed blood has purchased for him freedom from being enslaved to sin. And so Paul says, so then with my mind, I will serve the law of God and with my body, the law of sin. And the aha moment for me was pretty much until the day we die, our body and many times our emotion will continue to serve sin no matter what we do until the day we die. And Paul even mentions this in Romans 8, we, we long for the redemption of our bodies. Our mind can, for the most part, stay focused on the law of God and serving in the spirit. But our body always seems to be contrary to the law of God. It's always saying, hey, what about me? Hey, I'm not comfortable. Or, hey, I'm hungry. Or, I'm sleepy. Or, whatever. And it talks us out of continuing in love and service towards others. Not always. I mean, there's times where our body... Uh, matches up with our mind and our hearts match up with our mind and, and that's fine and that's great actually but in in my experience 80 percent of the time that's not true and i think we see this also in psalm 41 42 43 somewhere in there where david is also wrestling he, he's in some point of despair and he's pleading with his soul he says, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, and I will yet praise him. And so here we have a case where Paul's mind is pleading with his soul, preaching to his soul, trying to convince his soul to deal with the facts that God is in control, God loves him, 
And ultimately, God has a good purpose in what's going on. So it's been helpful for me to think about us, I don't want to say in Trinitarian form, but there, there seems to be compartments of our existence. We have our mind, which can deal with the facts, can deal with the logical level, the rational level, that can read the word of God and say, yes, that's true. And then on the opposite end of this spectrum, so to speak, is our bodies, our flesh, that express its needs for desire, for food, for sleep, all things we need. And so I'm not talking about asceticism where we just think the body's completely evil, but we can't let the body be master either. So we've got our mind on one end and we've got our body on the other end. And in the middle is our heart slash soul, our heart or soul. And I think those terms are interchangeable in scripture. And so we see passages like Paul saying in Romans 8, so then with my mind, I will serve the law of God and with my body, the law of sin. So my body is going to continue to express its desire for selfishness. And then we've got passages like be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or I think we've got Colossians 3 where it says, set your mind on the things that are above. Uh, I think Paul also expresses in it expresses it in, an, in another way where we have the outer man, which is fading away or decaying, and we have the inner man. And I think that inner man is kind of the, the mind, heart, soul combo in unison. And when the inner man is strengthened, it is the heart is listening to the rational mind, the logical mind, which is properly informed by a scripture. And so where this really plays out is when trials come up, when suffering comes up, and there, you know, there's brothers and sisters elsewhere that are dealing with extreme persecution, um, that are dealing with illness and, and uh, suffering and pain, like cancers and other things where they, they are just really being tormented. I don't want to, I don't mean any disrespect to that when I talk about maybe just the everyday suffering of things didn't go my way. I mean, it's relative here and I don't want to minimize what our brothers and sisters are going through. But, you know, as we experience our everyday life, there are disappointments and I'm, I'm calling this vaguely suffering. And what can happen is uh, as that suffering intensifies up the scale of what we think we can deal with, a lot of times our bodies and our emotions will take over and it will be begin a thought process and a thought pattern that is really hard to shake to the point where you know we we take the facts from our minds and we say, say i don't care i'm suffering too much and we tend to want to walk away and, and our inner man at that point is weak and it has a hard time fighting this and as i've been dealing with this idea of having joy and suffering at the same time, there are going to be many times where our hearts are united with our body and suffering and demanding comfort and demanding its way. And our minds, somehow I think we can rejoice in our minds. Our mind can make a decision 
but our hearts tend to have momentum in a certain direction, whether positive or negative. And so as we're battling, as we're going through suffering, as we're going through trials, we really need to preach to ourselves and convince our hearts to not be in despair or to fear not, as Jesus says. And, and Paul even advises to rejoice always. Again, he says rejoice. So how do we rejoice? I think oftentimes we focus too much on the physical things, on, on the blessings of the world, whether that be comfort or entertainment or possessions or whatever. As I began to really work on rejoicing, even when I didn't feel like it, I would try to set my mind on something to rejoice about. And that was typically possessions or things going well. And I think we have to rejoice at a different level. Jesus says in one of the Gospels to rejoice in the fact that our names are written in the book of life. We need to rejoice not in what we're doing for God, but what God has done for us and what he's done for us at an eternal level. That he has justified us. That he loves us. I mean, the Bible tells us over and over that he loves us and it convinces us that he loves us, but our heart sometimes just gets so caught up in our failures that it's it's really hard to believe that. But that's the battle, right? Now we, we need to learn to recognize that there is suffering, recognize that our heart is more convinced by our flesh, more convinced by the circumstances not being the way we want them. And instead we need to transition to rejoicing in our minds, to, to constantly preach the good news, the good word that we have been justified and that we are loved by God, whether we succeed or fail. You know, we can, we can accomplish our ultimate dreams in a worldly sense, God doesn't love us anymore because of that. We can have the absolute worst failure that we've ever experienced in our life and see our dreams demolished, but God doesn't love us any less. So I, I think that's, that's how we fight that battle is to focus on the truths of scripture, to focus on the eternality of his gift for us to the point where we can look beyond circumstances and we can recognize that hey that things aren't going well right now but it's not always going to be this way we have an eternity in heaven with god that is purchased and secured and nothing can change that so i just wanted to throw that out there there's kind of this distinction or a recognition that our bodies play a role in manifesting our emotions and almost entrapping us into negative emotions because it keeps us thinking about how we feel. And if we can learn to rejoice in our minds and set our minds on rejoicing and continue to preach to our hearts, convince it that these truths in scripture are real, that Jesus really is present and in us, that he's greater in us, than whoever or whatever is in the world. And there is such stability of mind, such stability of soul when we continue to preach to ourselves in this way. And it's, it's okay if our heart doesn't match up with our mind. It's okay if our hearts do not resonate with the truth 
that is in Scripture that we're reading, that will come. But the fact that you have the truth in your mind and you acknowledge it as true in your mind, you know it's true, that is a gift. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is something to rejoice about. That's not something that unbelievers have. That's only something that a believer has. And so that is something worth rejoicing in, that God has so, by faith, sealed you in his truth. And there are just seasons where we have to preach it to our hearts until our hearts catch up. But don't think it's the end of the world if your heart doesn't match what your mind knows. That's going to come and go. So keep keep reading, keep putting yourself in, in front of the truths that God has. And keep preaching to your heart like David did when his heart was in despair. And say, keep hoping in God. Weeping may last for the, mor- for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Be encouraged.